welcome to another chapter of In The Keep Podcast. I'm your very own prophet of the drowned god, the Motherlode. This show is all about the world of first-person shooters, their legacies, their lineage, and the people who keep that world turning. It is the will of the drowned god, Cathala, that our communities band together to frag and jib one another into oblivion for all eternity. Hello everybody out there, I hope you are taking good care of yourself and good care of your loved ones. If you have anybody out there uh, in your life who perhaps you haven't spoken to in a long time, maybe they're older folks who don't get out much or you know, are just generally socially isolated in general, I think now might be the time to you know make that phone call, let them know that you care. Just a suggestion, but let's not uh, dwell on all that stuff. For the next hour, let's just kind of take this time to relax a little, forget about that, just think about uh, what we're going to talk about here, which is this amazing interview with the CEO of Night Dive Studios. His name is Stephen Kick. I am a huge, huge fan of his. I'm very honored to have had this conversation like on a personal level. That's just how big of a fan I am. But I also want to you know, say thank you to everybody who made this happen. So specifically, I want to say thank you to Brand Flakes. I want to say thank you to Frederick Schreiber of 3D Realms for, you know, being really awesome people and just being amazing. They they know who they are. They know what they did. And I can't thank them enough. But yeah, Steven is so much cooler than I could have possibly imagined. Like he just, he's been on a journey. Like his life has just been something, you know, where it's like someone to look up to, someone who takes chances and does things that are just kind of out of the norm and arrived in his particular niche now in a, a really unique way and I'm really glad to have had him come kind of tell that story to us and I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it and before we get into it just on a side note I have now played the medical demo for System Shock and holy shit that's all I'm gonna say Music that you are about to hear is from the original soundtrack of Sin. Be sure to pick up a copy of Sin Gold by Night Dive Studios. This is Zach Bellica's absolutely outstanding soundtrack for the game. I believe he is now the director of audio over at Epic, if that says anything. So, without any further ado, let's get in the keep with Steven Kick. of Night Dive Studios. And man, how I got to this point, it's a long story. Where do I even begin? Went to art school to get a degree in computer game art and design. Uh, Graduated with Best Portfolio, got a job uh, pretty much right away in San Diego. Uh, Then got another job at Sony Online Entertainment and worked on some MMOs and uh, a game called Planetside 2, you might have heard of. Um, then basically went on a trip across all of Mexico and Central America after getting kind of creatively burned out 
and discovering that I could no longer play one of my favorite games, which was System Shock 2. And instead of, um, I guess, not doing anything about it, I looked into who owned the rights, why the game wasn't available anymore, and managed to secure the license to digitally distribute the game again. And uh, once that became uh, relatively successful, I decided to look into other games that, that could use the same kind of TLC uh, to ensure that people could enjoy and play them again. So, yeah, that's, I mean, that's like, that's the the short version. <laughs> I always love the, uh, like I was burnt out. So I took a vision quest type situation, like uh kill pixel from wrath, a on a ruin, that guy, he did a similar thing where he's just like, I don't know. I'm just going to leave home and start like completely fresh and go off for a while and then come back after my journey and reassess everything about life. And then here he is now doing that. The original plan was to do South America. Uh, but by the time we got to Panama, we realized that we weren't going to be able to get our car uh, across what's known as the Darien Gap, mm-hmm. which is basically just this really kind of treacherous uh portion of land between you know the two continents or the two uh you know the two regions right um but yeah i mean the reason that we wanted to travel to begin with was because we my girlfriend at the time and i were just both kind of burned out she was also a character artist at sony and you know once we had kind of achieved that lifelong goal of of working on games and and doing what we loved we kind of discovered that it wasn't really for us and so, uh, you know, being in our um, early 20s, it was kind of like, well, what do we do? You know, uh, while we travel, we should see the world. We should kind of um, make sure that uh, we kind of submerge ourselves in, in other cultures and in, in new places. And maybe we can find inspiration and creativity by kind of exposing ourselves to, um, to something new. And speak Spanish, you know, we got um, relatively fluent about halfway through the trip. So like maybe like six months in (laughs) and, you know, it's been a number of years since then. And I've pretty much lost, you know, most of it. But there there was this one moment where we had crossed the border back into Texas after being gone for like 10 months. And I just immediately started speaking Spanish to like the border guards. (laughs) And and they're like, uh, yeah, we don't speak Spanish. I was like, oh, that was weird. I haven't heard English in you know <laughs> in a really long time. So um, it's so funny because now it's like a requirement for them to speak Spanish. I'm sure. Yeah, it it makes sense. I mean, um, it was really interesting when we did cross the border because they took a look at our car and it looked like it had just been driven, you know, ten thousand miles all the way through Mexico and Central America, yeah. and they're like where are you guys coming from? Like, you know, we've never seen this before. And so we kind of just told them the story and they're like, wow, that's really cool. All right. So we're going to have to pull every single thing out of your car. We're going to x-ray it like three, four times. We're going to remove the door panels and we're going to, you know, basically gut your car to search it for drugs. And we're like, cool. Well, you're not going to find anything. Um, And we were there for like two hours um, but we were all just laughing and they were asking all these questions because at the time, um, 
you know, there was a lot of news about people being abducted by the cartels and all this. And it, it appeared to be kind of a dangerous place for, you know, Americans to go. Um, but we never experienced anything even remotely foreboding. It was, everybody was um, unbelievably kind and compassionate, very welcoming. And um, yeah, it was like, it was a trip of a lifetime. So when you came back, like, did you feel recharged? Like I'm ready to take this on. And then you just stumble upon the system shock thing. Well, it, it actually happened while we were in Guatemala of all oh. places. We were staying at this hostel called um, El Retiro and it was down in this kind of jungle um, part of the country where it was very inaccessible. It was hard to get down there. And it was like on one dark and stormy night when I had pulled out my laptop and I was ready to play some classic oh. games that I had like loaded up, you know, I was like, Oh, this weather is perfect. Like I'm going to play, I'm going to play shock two. And I couldn't get it to run. Couldn't, you know, use any of the normal kind of uh, quick fixes like set compatibility modes or anything like that to, to get any further. And basically went to GOG.com expecting there to be a download for it. Uh, but instead I found that it was the number one requested game at the time. So it was like the top of their wish list with 40,000 plus votes or something. And I just became really fascinated with the fact that, you know, one of the greatest games of all time couldn't be played even like a legit version off, you know, the CD. It just wouldn't run on anything newer than, you know, Windows XP. And yeah, I just did research. I kind of followed this digital um, breadcrumb trail and discovered that the rights had gone to a company in the Midwest called um, Meadowbrook or Star Insurance Company. And the trademark had gone to Electronic Arts. And initially, I just reached out to their general counsel and, you know, wasn't expecting anything back. But I said, hey, I understand that you guys have the rights to this. And what are you planning on doing with them? And it was like only a matter of a couple of days when they wrote back and said, Hey, yeah, we ha- we have the rights. What do you want to do? Do you want to make system shock three? Um, <laughs> so, you know, being in the middle of the jungle in Guatemala at the time, it wasn't really an option um, to do that. But I suggested, you know, why don't we put the original two games back up on digital platforms so that, you know, people can enjoy those again and maybe drum up interest in, um, an eventual entry into the series or a third, a third game. So yeah, they kind of, they went with that and, um, I reached out to GOG.com and they thought I was full of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but you know, we got the deal through and, um, the game did really, really well in its first couple of months. And it basically opened up the whole idea of kind of going into the back catalogs and, um, finding what's there and uh, revitalizing games that uh, you know that people had forgotten. Well, let's put a, a pin in System Shock for now because I'm I'm going to return to that. The first Night Dive game that I actually played was all in one. I got like a gift from a friend who's like, I think you'll really like this. And so all at one time, like same day, I got Harlan Ellison's "I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream" paperback in the mail, oh, nice. and then. And then the game showed up in my Steam library and he's like, I just want to send you on this journey. And I went on it and that was like my first experience with you guys at all. But 
that story and that game just kind of like fundamentally changed the way I thought about, I don't know, fiction in general and just the artwork. It's so beautiful. And I've noticed uh, you seem to, I don't want to compare you directly to HR Geiger, but have some interest in that style of artwork. And I've noticed you've done some modeling too. So can you give us a little bit of insight on that? Yeah. um, I kind of grew up in a house where, you know, my dad and I watched, um, you know, Tales from the Crypt and Star Trek, Star Wars, horror movies. Um, it was just kind of the the atmosphere at home. Like my dad had the original, like those giant portfolio books of Giger's um, Necronomicon 1 and, and 2. And growing up, they were kind of like forbidden, you know, like, you know, you can't look at these books. They're too graphic. It's too, you know, kind of too wild, too sexual. And of course, like as soon as my parents would leave the house, I would sneak into his room and basically just pour over H.R. <laughs> Giger. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm very, very fond of Alien. Um, anything that's kind of biomech. I've got a uh, a full sleeve tattoo that's very much in the in the Giger style, but it's of H.P. Uh, yeah. Lovecraft's Cthulhu. Right above my desk, I've got one of the original um, portfolio prints that Giger had made to essentially pitch the movie Alien to 20th Century Fox, and it's the space jockey. Yeah, and it's signed by him, and it's like probably one of my most cherished possessions. So. I'm wearing my alien shirt right now, as a matter of fact, just to be in the mood for this. <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know, there's something about that art that just, I mean, it resonates with me and it resonates with so many other people um, for so many different reasons. And it's just, uh, it's really interesting that you bring up, I have no mouth on my screen because the same company, uh, basically, they were the ones that did Darkseed, which was a adventure game based off of his artwork. And we were trying to get that game right after we had secured I Have No Mouth, I Must Scream. And I got to speak with Giger's agent a couple times. And we were very close to signing a deal. And about a week later, that's when he fell. Oh, God. Uh, and then passed away. And so, I mean, that was, it was really tough for me just personally because I was very close to, you know, working with him as close as I possibly could at the time. Um, And then to have uh, such a visionary pass away uh, before his time uh, was also very heartbreaking. And then, you know, just uh, a a year or two ago, um, Harlan Ellison passed away as well. Mm -hmm. And I was much closer with him. I had um, spoken with him on the phone a number of times about all kinds of topics. And he was just such a gentleman and so friendly and, more than anything, I think he was thrilled that people were getting to play his game again. Um, it's been documented kind of thoroughly before, but uh, when he was uh, originally approached by Cyber Dreams, uh, I think that's the name of the company. I went totally drawing a blank, but um, he was all for it. He, he wanted to do it, but he wanted to add a lot more to the game than there was initially written in the story and so you know he worked with um uh the lead producer there and basically wrote far more than 
in terms of like just pure words than than are in the book uh, to yeah. to design the game. The game completely expands like way further than the book could have ever, you know, as a short story. But it that game is a journey. It really just takes you way deep in there when you you know go to the Nazi internment camp and you know you're in the jungle and all, all these amazing amazing kind of just trips man medieval castles and none of that's in the book it's just like such a deep dive it's a night dive yeah. unquote, into you know an amazing mind like i would i want to sit here and i'll bother you some other time about this but like the more i could know about him as a person would be amazing that is just so such a trip for you to go on dude yeah, it was. Um, I'll never forget the first time he called me because it was totally unexpected. I was yeah. originally dealing with his agent in New York, um, who was, you know, he's like, "All right, well, I'm going to talk to Harlan and we'll see what he says." And you know, a couple hours later, my phone rings. I'm like, "Who? I don't recognize this number." And I answered the phone, and I'm like, "Hello, Stephen." this is Harlan Ellison. And then my blood just turned cold. You know, I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> uh, he was, he was so friendly. Uh, just, yeah, just a great guy. Such a creative genius, man. Speaking of that, I also noticed you're a huge tool fan, which their artwork also kind of speaks to that as well. And I think their music is kind of, in a lot of ways, the musical form of what I think H.R. Geiger's work would look like. Yeah, um, there's definitely some influences uh, that you can see in some of their music videos. Uh, mm-hmm. I would say primarily, you know, from about 1992 to 96, like those first three albums, definitely more so than than the latest three. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess it's kind of no coincidence that I would be, um, you know, kind of fans of all those different things across all those different mediums. Um, they all kind of play into the same themes and the darknesses, you know, the darkness of the, the recesses of the human mind and, and that type of thing. Um, but yeah, I, I had, uh, actually just done some personal artwork. I'm not sure if you saw of the, the representations I did of each of the six tool albums. Yes, I did. I was literally looking at that over the past couple of days, but yeah, so like a lot of that, um, you know, I don't, I didn't directly reference anything. It was all kind of just out of my head at the time while I was listening to the music. Uh, but I mean, the influences are clearly there. I mean, you look at it and you're like, oh, this is very, this is Gigrish. You know, it's got the the coiling shapes and the repeating, um, you know, markings and things, all the, all the hallmarks of, of kind of his style. So cool. So I uh, recently, drew some attention to myself because I think I referred to Fred Schreiber as the father of retro FPS. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and then, and then, D- so Dave responds to me and he's like, uh, well, he's the father and I'm the arbiter. And then he re- he called you the scuba instructor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what's your, what's your relationship with those guys? Can you take a little trip down that? Um, our relationship is, is, um, is pretty new, at least with 3d realms and Fred. Um, he and I have just kind of gotten to know each other really well after we acquired the rights to sin, um, because that's a, that's a game that's very close to their hearts. Um, Dave, Oshry and I go back to maybe 2012 or 2013. We met at E3 at a, 
uh, like a press event that was hosted by GOG actually. And um, I was there in support of an indie game that I was doing the art for at the time. And um, I had already shipped System Shock through GOG, but um, they had no idea that I was there, which was really fun because, um, you know, word kind of got around that I was the guy that did that. And then they eventually all came up to me and they were like, how the, you know, how the fuck did you do that? Like, we've been trying to get that game for years. Like who, you know, you must have family that works at the company or whatever, because there's no way, you know, you could have gotten this. And so that was really fun. And uh, Dave was there in support of um, Rise of the Triad, the um, Interceptor uh, remake. And he and I just hit it off kind of famously and we've been uh really good friends since then yeah it's just a really cool that you guys had this holy trifecta going on of like these awesome kind of retro-esque games and each of you have your own kind of unique lane going on where i feel like new blood is just kind of crazy and pushing the boundary all the time and then 3d realms has it, it kind of like reflects each person's personality in a way and what you're doing is I mean, I can't say it enough, man. This is just bringing an entire wealth of all these amazing games that otherwise a lot of us wouldn't be able to play, especially younger guys like me. Like, I didn't even know about System Shock until after you, like, your your version was already the definitive version by the time I'd played the game. So that speaks volumes to, then you go on and you form this company and you take on all of these projects. How do you, how do you manage... <laughs> all of that <laughs> what do you do and I, I know you're like uh, the mrs is also involved yes yeah, it's a lot yeah so um alex my wife she basically handles all the finances so she's our you know she's our cfo she makes sure that everybody gets paid um all of our taxes get done yeah she does she does the actual important work yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I was handling all that stuff at first, but it, it just got to be um, so time consuming because of all the various accounts that we had. And it was taking kind of days out of the week and she just decided that she was going to handle it. But in terms of all the other projects, I mean, um, it seems very, very busy right now just with the amount of things that we have announced um you know blade runner shadow man uh sin gold coming out again uh doom 64 launching last friday and the fact of the matter is we've got kind of like all these things are staggered and they're kind of you know they're planned like months in advance um sometimes years in advance and sometimes they all just kind of coincide um at the same time which is what we kind of had now um, but there's a lot going on behind the scenes and, you know, my job and, uh, Larry Cooperman, my partner and, uh, head of biz dev at night dive, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're actively securing the rights to stuff right now that, you know, we won't announce until, you know, maybe six months down the road when we've already got, you know, a working build of that ready to go. Um, so it's just this constant, we're just constantly churning through stuff. And um, the guys that uh, develop the Kex engine and do the majority of the work um, are kind of the real stars of the show. 
um, they make it possible. And um, they just pretty much take everything that we throw at them. And, you know, it gets, uh, it gets hectic and stressful sometimes because um, a lot of projects do sometimes overlap uh, depending on the priority. Um, but they always get it done and the results kind of speak for themselves. I mean, we probably wouldn't be here talking to you if, you know, we weren't doing a good job. So <laughs> we'll never know what the alternative is, but th- the fact is that the reality is really fucking cool. And so it's like kind of a constant from what I can tell from the outside, just securing different licenses. And then, so you're dealing with several different teams, you know, in, in terms of like, who's going to make the game, who's going to, you know, get the rights. Like I'd imagine you're dealing with a lot of different people all the time, lots of just wheeling and dealing and just in general communicating 24 seven. I can't imagine there's a lot of breaks involved. Yeah, there really isn't. And this came <laughs> up in a recent conversation, mostly due to the coronavirus. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if anything, what I do and what we do at Night Dive hasn't slowed down at all as a result of that, because um, one, we're all remote. So all, you know, 30 of us are kind of all over the world. And we're all in different time zones. So essentially night dive is kind of working around the clock. There's like a 24 hour schedule almost. So like when I wake up, um, you know, the guys in in New Zealand or uh, Australia are just getting up or, or they're going to bed or whatever. Um, And so it's, yeah, it's constant. It's constant communication with, with not only the team, but our licensors and uh, the platforms and the publishers and, and, um, you just never know, you know, what you're going to get some days, which is, uh, kind of the fun of it. It seems like it would be rewarding in a lot of ways to just, you know, wake up in the morning and like, look at all this stuff that got done when I was asleep. But then there's also got to be like, oh my God, look at all these fires. <laughs> sometimes. Out. Yeah. Sometimes there's, I mean, yeah. I'd be lying if I said that, you know, we didn't have the same issues that every other game studio had, you know, we get, we get the same stuff. It's, yeah. There's personality issues, there's conflicts, there's there's stress, there's deadlines, there's, um, you know, budgetary constraints, there's all that stuff. And, uh, you know, the company is going to be eight years old this November. Um, so I think we've done a pretty good job of of kind of scaling up to to meet the demand of, of all the stuff that we got going on. And it's just uh, every year we just get a little bit bigger and um, get to do bigger and badder things. I mean, I, if you had asked me last year, um, if we were going to do doom 64, I probably, you know, would have laughed, but here we are. We've, we've worked on the doom title. I, you know, I feel like we've, we've reached a, a major milestone. Yeah. I mean, what was that kind of deal? Like the Bethesda reach out to you guys and say like, Hey, uh, we're, we need the experts on porting old games to new consoles. I had reached out to id a couple years ago about it because um sam uh kaiser the lead engineer behind the kex engine had already done some kind of preliminary work on the ex version of doom 64 and we were showing them that and um they thought it was really cool uh but at that time doom eternal was like just starting production 
And so that was their primary focus and they didn't really want to um, expend any additional resources into something like Doom 64. But then, you know, not too long later, they're like, we want to do this with you guys. Uh, you've done amazing work on these other projects and like this would just be a such a badass pre-order incentive for Doom Eternal. So uh, we just hopped right on and we're like, all right, sounds good. And so, um, I mean, like I said, not only was this a milestone in terms of, you know, IP kind of exposure, but it was also the first game that we uh, more or less simultaneously released across all platforms. So PC, Xbox, Switch, PlayStation. Uh, We've never done that before with any of our titles, but it's always been our goal. Um, And it was just uh, really special to be able to do that with uh, Doom 64. There were several conversations that I had leading up to the release of Doom Eternal where we're, I have a big hang up about pre-ordering games. Like it, it really bums me out to think that I might've just spent $60 and just get let down. But I justified it to several people being like, at the very least I'll get, you know, I'll get some of my money's worth out of this Doom 60. Like I knew that was going to be epic because I knew who was working on it and I knew, you know, what to expect game wise. I love the soundtrack. I'm just glad to see it finally, you know, in the limelight where it should be, along with all the other Doom titles. So this is like very meaningful to a lot of people that you guys took on that project, I think. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, We always knew that the game was overlooked by a lot of people, including original Doom fans. Because at the time, you know, when Midway had originally developed it, I don't think that there was like really clear messaging on what it was that they were doing. So, you know, myself included, um, I always just assumed that it was a port of the original doom, but on Nintendo 64. And so I never, you know, looked into it. I never was um, compelled for any reason to, to try it out. Um, And I mean, man, was I wrong? Um, You know, it's, it's kind of like the perfect it's like in the in an alternate universe, this that would have been Doom Three, right? Uh, very right. Uh, similar but different art style. It's um, it builds up on some of the some of the mechanics and the puzzles, and the atmosphere is definitely more like uh, Doom Three. It's more horror inspired. The soundtrack is dark and moody. It's you know not upbeat kind of metal. Um, so yeah, I mean, part of the 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 biggest joy of all this is seeing people rediscover it for the first time, having an absolute blast. Um, it's such a, it's such a rare treat to, to kind of find something. It's like, if I could, if I could make the analogy, it's like, what if you were a tool fan and you didn't know that undertow existed and then it just, you know, it got remastered or something and you got to explore, um, something that you really loved from a different light, from a, you know, kind of a new perspective. So you guys have done an excellent job with that and also several other of these really amazing ports like uh, Turok and Turok 2. I know like my friends playing it on the Switch like at work sometimes and I just really enjoy seeing him enjoy that because it's like that was such a big one for him, I think, because a lot of people grew up with those titles that a lot of us that didn't grow up with PCs, like that was a one of the first person shooters that we could really just yay, like I, I was part of that community at least to some extent. And then the big one for me and a lot of my friends was when you guys put out Blood Fresh Supply, and that one was a little bit turbulent. Can we can we kind of get into that a bit? 
like how it released and then how you guys really quickly just made it <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, I mean that that one um was interesting because you know we're we're all really big fans of that as well. Uh we knew it had to be done, but we were kind of under very strict time constraints uh with the publisher, which was Atari. And you know, when we released it, we knew that there was some things that we wanted to fix and we wanted to address. And, and I mean, the, that part of the development happened immediately after we pushed it out. We're like, okay, we're going to like hot fix this thing, you know, for these reasons. So we were, we were aware of what was going to happen and, and the feedback and stuff we were going to get because uh, the community for that game, especially is very, very dedicated. Let me put it that way. Um, so we were just able to kind of like brush all that aside and just focus on what we needed to do to make sure that, you know, we addressed those things that we uh, kind of had not overlooked, but had uh, put on lower priority um, uh, in, you know, for the release. So, yeah, I mean, luckily we were, we were, we were still allotted um, some opportunities to fix some stuff there, but you know, to this day, I get, I get emails like, oh, when's this going to be on Linux? When's this going to be on Xbox? When, when is it going to be on this? And it's like, our, you know, our, our contract's up, like we can't do anything with it anymore. Um, So sorry, kind of like what's, what's out there is kind of what you get, unfortunately. I still really dig it. I, there is a lot of things that, you know, all, Civi was probably the most notorious one, like someone who'd really played a shitload of blood and knew every little nook and cranny and was going to notice every detail that was, you know, a little to the left or a little to the right or any, anything like that. But overall solid. And it really put a lot of eyes on blood again, because like where you guys were kind of forced to reverse engineer it from what I understand. Yeah, there was some, there was some work that went into it um, that went beyond you know, the, the publicly available, uh, source ports and, you know, for what it's worth, um, I remember playing the game as a, as a kid and, and the version, the initial version that we put out, you know, I played it, I didn't have any problems. Um, I loved it just the way it was, but then, like you said, Civi did his video and it was like, oh, you know, this gun, there's supposed to be three sprites instead of two or what, you know, these really you know, nitpicky, minute details um, that didn't affect my enjoyment of the game at all. But I feel like, you know, when he did that video, we kind of got hogpiled, you know, it was like every, suddenly everybody's like a purist and like has to have it exactly, you know, 100% down to the, you know, pixel, Um, (laughs) uh, you know, as genuine as could be. Uh, But, you know, again, like they're, it's a dedicated fan base and they love what they love for a reason. And, and, you know, hopefully we were able to address enough of those things. Um, in that, you know, this, the, the series of patches that we put out after that. Yeah. Did you, uh, communicate with like the, the folks over at like build GDX, like they were making those source ports. No, this was just totally internal. Right on. Well, as far as I'm concerned, I love it. I was really happy to have it, you know, go out on sale again and put some eyes on blood, which is, fantastic just anything build engine and right around the same time as ion fury as well yep yeah that was that was good timing actually just because um you know they 
the uh, rising waters kind of they they bring up all the boats at the same time. So it's like we they got really good press for you know the build engine stuff they were doing, and uh, we got good press because uh, we managed to find a way to port the build engine. <laughs> <laughs> at this point, I'm going to go ahead and address the elephant in the room and say that when I first heard you guys were doing this awesome system shock project, my initial reaction was like, uh, Oh cool. They're just going to hire a Q master and do Citadel like as a big thing. Hmm. And then I didn't really realize uh, the scope that it was going to become with just the little amount that we've publicly seen at this point is already mind blowing. But so First of all, it's really cool that you guys let him continue to work on his project. That's awesome because Citadel is going to, I think it's going to be really cool. But that's uh, you guys, Josiah Jack, right? I'm not, I, honestly, I don't know his real name. I just know him as Q Master. Oh, okay. He's a, yeah, Quake mapping guy and then just loves System Shock apparently. Yeah. But he was on uh, the Quake cast, which is ran by my buddy Dump Truck DS, who interviewed him and was really just kind of getting into that. So from what we understood out of that interview was that, you know, he was working on that project and he was really thankful for you guys just being cool with it and everything and letting it happen simultaneously to your project. And I hope I'm not uh, bringing something to your attention that would cause like an issue. No, no, I, I, I'm just trying to remember because it was probably a little while ago and I want to say that it's probably the same dude. I mean, the project's called Citadel, and it's being built in Unity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that he's had a thread on systemshock.org for years now. I'm pretty sure it's the same guy. And, you know, basically, I went to him and I said, you know, continue doing what you're doing. You're doing an awesome job. And, you know, we're all rooting for you. We all want to see this you know, come out in the end. And, um, you know, as long as you don't commercialize it, like we're cool. Um, so that's been kind of our general rule with system shock stuff, just in, in, in general, like, you know, make fan missions. Um, we actually, uh, with the system shock enhanced edition, we did, uh, like a released an editor, uh, with the source port. So people could actually make, you know, mods and campaigns and stuff for the game for the first time, because we all come from those backgrounds. You know, we like to tinker with our, with our games. We don't want to have the EULA kind of prohibit us from, you know, enjoying the game to the extent that it allows. So we're, we're totally on the modern side. I love seeing community content. It's what keeps the game alive. It's what inspires new generations of game developers. It's how I got in initially you know, was uh, using Gold Source with Half-Life, um, the Quake 3 editor. I mean, it would just be very short-sighted of a company, especially like ours, to shut something like that down. I've really enjoyed hearing like all of the philosophies come out of you. Like You and Fred kind of have the same point of view there, where it's like, I would never deter someone from, you know, doing something creative. Because the way I see it is that you only stand to gain by him continuing to sing the praises of a system shock and or anyone in the whole world, if they're talking about System Shock, seems like it's good business for you guys. But yeah, I mean, probably the best example is Valve, right? I mean, their whole, yeah. whole entire business, aside from the distribution part of it, anyways, um, is built on the backs of modders. I mean, Counter Strike, Dota, Team Fortress, 
Um, like Mesa. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, you know, uh, I was gonna say Portal, but I think that was that was more of an indie team. Um, but you know, they were all modders that that more or less built games in existing engines using existing assets, and I mean, those are the cornerstones of you know what is arguably you know, the juggernaut in the game industry. So then we kind of move on from there. So as I watched the project kind of get more and more information coming out about it, it seemed like uh, there's, there's just so many things going on right now with system shock and in general. And it's kind of hard to manage. Like you hear, you know, one thing about one of these projects and you panic and think it's about another thing from another project. So you guys are working on, if you could clarify everything, a honest to goodness system shock remake and then other side is simultaneously i don't even know if they're still working on it but the system shock three sequel and you guys licensed that to them said you can you're allowed to do that is that true information or am i just spinning dirt here yep that's it okay so let's just talk about your project and what the trials and tribulations have been so far because it, it seemed like it started off as one thing and then got out of scope or, you know just got bigger than we originally thought it could be yeah i mean where we are right now is essentially full production so the characters the enemies the weapons all that is kind of nearing completion um all the level assets are getting done and being plugged into our map that we built, you know, in unreal. Um, all the mechanics are, are more or less fleshed out. So it's just a matter of kind of putting all the pieces together. So we're not trying to figure anything out at this point. Um, there aren't any real questions. It's just a matter of, you know, we've got this many people and this is how long it's going to take. Yeah. So we're at a, we're at a great, great spot in terms of development. Um, Every day, you know, I'm seeing new levels get put out, um, new enemies getting put in, new guns getting put in. Uh, it's this is like this is the fun part, right? Um, yeah, we've got you know private developer builds up on Steam. We can hop in and we can get through a couple of the levels and um, explore, create our own kind of you know bug reports that type of thing. Um, so I'm hoping, hoping you know, relatively soon. I can't obviously say anything more specific than that, but we should be, we should be hitting some kind of closed beta. Um, and we can invite that tier of uh, Kickstarter backers in, which will be really great. Um, but so far what we've done, uh, after the, the, I forget what it was called. Um, it was a promo that we did with valve for the VGAs in November like the indie or game expo game arcade something and we created the uh the demo that we put out to the public which was the entire first uh level of the game and it was really great to get that many people in a build that was that kind of fresh um all at once because it it was really eye-opening in terms of like our performance uh more than anything uh, we're all running on stuff that's like 1080 or higher and it runs great on our machines. But, you know, when you give a demo out to the public, you're going to get, 
you know, GeForce 600 series trying to run it. And um, so with a lot of that information and feedback we got from that, we cleaned it up, um, fixed a lot of those performance issues, fixed some bugs, and we released that demo out to all of our backers. Um, so they've been enjoying it and they've been playing it, um, you know, con- pretty much continuously since since we put that out. Um, so that's kind of been our, like our benchmark, you know, that level has been really well received. It's obviously missing, um, some weapons and some enemies and some, some areas like cyberspace. Um, but now we've got this bar, right? We reached that bar with the rest of the levels and, you know, we're going to be good. It's just, uh, it's good to hear it all from the horse's mouth because we've been in that like a, a few weeks ago, I'm just sitting around talking about like, yeah, this is really cool. I can't wait for the system shock thing to come out. And then someone's like, oh, didn't you hear? It's like they shut down production and the whole team's out. And they're talking about a different project that has nothing yeah. to do with this one. And it's just that in that case, it seems like it might even be bad press. And that's the opposite of the point I was trying to make earlier. So what's been your experience with just handling that in general? I know you're dealing with it as we speak right now with me. So Yeah, it's been really frustrating. I mean, I'm just going to be totally honest. It's, um, it's unfortunate what's going on. Um, but I honestly don't know any more than anyone else about what's going on with that project. It's just, um, you know, the confusion that it's causing has just been, um, a real pain in my ass. Um, because I get, you know, I get people saying and leaving messages and writing emails, calling me a crook and a thief and, you know, a swindler and like, oh, the project's dead and it's, you know, it's never going to come out. Like you're going to get sued. And I'm like, but that's not our game. Like we're still in full production. We do a, a Kickstarter update every month. Um, you know, we're like on our 68th update or something like that. Like the game's been in production for a long time or development. And eventually we're going to get by that, right? When we launch the thing, we're going to say, our game's done. You know, we've done our part. Everybody's gotten their rewards. We're good. And, you know, hopefully we can create that, um, the perception of, of, of distance so that, you know, our game can be judged on its own merits and not, you know, anything else. Um, at least I hope that's how it goes down because, <laughs> you know, like I said, I get, uh, even in our Kickstarter updates, like there's a very vocal minority of people that like have backed the game. And our last update was like, here's like animation cycles for the gorilla tiger and the exec bot. And here's this awesome screenshot of, you know, these weapons and, all, you know, it's this jam-packed update. We work really hard on those. And, like, the first comment that comes out is some, you know, guy, and he's like, oh, great, another update with, you know, just more of the same. And it's like, well, what do you expect? Like, what do you want in an update? Like, what else could we possibly deliver, you know, outside of here's the launch date, you know, here's your key, go play it, you know? Like, just at least be happy that we're still working on this and that you're going to get the game that you were promised. So it seems like it's going to be more than the game we were promised to be fair. Like this is from first day, like there's going to be this project to what we're seeing and hearing about now. It's just, 
this is going to be mind blowing. Like I'm super stoked for it when it, it does come out. It's definitely. Yes. I mean, the difference between what we're doing now and the demo is um, pretty dramatic, but we were very, very careful to keep that style and kind of the original vision that, that we had pitched and that we had, you know, created that demo around because that's what people backed. That's what they paid for. Um, but just in terms of like the smoothness of the performance and the lighting quality, um, you know, the artistry that's going into all the assets. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's miles above that. Um, and I'm, personally very very proud of of what we're doing so with that there's like a fairly large amount of money this seems like would it be wrong to say like the largest project that you you guys have ever really taken on as a company and it just seems like this is going to be like a big milestone like are you guys like really heavily invested is it scary? Is it anything but just, it can't be all pure pleasure with something this big with this amount of stakes. So I'm just wondering like, what are, what are your feelings going forward? Are you like totally confident that it's going to be like what system shock fans want and what those investors paid for? I am now. Yes. Okay. Um, but there, there, yeah, there, there have been times, you know, over the past couple of years during development where I've gone from, you know, the day that we launched the Kickstarter and in like two days we had met our goal. That was, that was both exciting and terrifying. Um, and then, you know, fast forward like a year and, you know, I haven't been able to sleep in like, you know, a week because of the state of things. And then there's, um, you know, there are those moments of dread, like when I realized that what we were doing was, you know, wasn't going to cut it. And it, you know, there was no way that we were going to be able to deliver promised. And essentially I had to, you know, I had to bring a different group of people on that could deliver what it was that I had wanted. Um, and as a result of that, there was again, like kind of miscommunication. Like I announced that the game was going on hiatus, which does not, equal the same thing as canceled. Um, it just means we're taking a break. You know, we're reevaluating our, our situation. Um, we are going to make some big dramatic changes that we're going to better align to the vision of the Kickstarter. Anything that happened after that was going to be positive. And a lot of people didn't read into that or didn't come to that conclusion, despite, you know, me saying almost the same thing verbatim, you know, in our update. And I got death threats. Um, I had people contacting the BBB. Um, I had people contacting both the Washington state and the Oregon state, um, you know, bureaus of whatever. Like I had officials from the States that like were saying, Oh, you know, we got these, claims from people that you know you're ripping them off and all this and uh all that did was just waste my time uh because we did have to go we had to sit down and we had to just you know basically tell them what was going on and you know the moment we did that they were like oh well you know this doesn't qualify for what you're being accused of 
I was like, thank you. You know, that, that's a relief, you know, I'm not going to get, you know, charged by the state state or, uh, be investigated for fraud or, you know what I mean? Like that shit's just crazy. But there were some people that were genuinely very, very, very upset for no reason other than they just didn't either read the full statement um, or they just misunderstood it. And again, like all it did was just, was just sidetrack us. It just slowed us down. So um, we got through that. We showed our first couple of updates past that. And then it was like, Oh, okay, cool. This is what we wanted. Sorry about that. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of the nature of the, I guess, the way that we developed this game or just the the route that we took by using a crowdfunding platform was that everybody that donated and, you know, it's not mince words, what they gave us was a donation. Everybody that donated that treated it as, or a lot of them treated it as like an actual pre-order um, or as an investment, um, which is not how you should go into a crowdfunding campaign. You should be totally you know, ready to lose that money um, because of the nature of, of, of that, uh, that platform. Um, I'm not saying that that's what, you know, is going to happen or what was going to happen with us. That was never an option. Um, But there's a, you know, to this day, there's a big misconception about what crowdfunding is. Um, And that particular instance did not help us, um, you know, when we had decided to, kind of go back to the drawing board with system shock. Well, I'm just glad we could just set the record straight system shock still coming out, looking awesome and everything that that's awesome. Uh, so let's put that mumbo jumbo behind us and just get into like, so are you, what are the really cool, fun things that are, you guys are doing with the game? Like reimagining the, the puzzles and like the cyberspace parts of it and everything. There's a lot to, you know, the original and even, you know, your guys' re-release of those games that imagining it now, it's got to be a lot of creative energy and a lot of really cool things going on. So what's that experience been for you? Yeah, just the, I mean, the tools that we have available to us now to kind of yeah. um, see that creative vision through is is just a really big part of it. Um, you mentioned cyberspace, like the original is kind of notorious because it's, hard to control it's very confusing from a perspective standpoint like where you're supposed to go um Mm -hmm. all the walls are transparent so it's like it's just it's hard to visualize where you are and what you're doing and what we've kind of um prototyped so far um is very different um but still you know, kind of in the same vein of, of you being inside the computer, like you've jacked into it and, you know, you're, you're seeing the inner circuitry and the inner workings of the computer um, from, you know, a pieces, a piece of data's perspective, essentially. Um, So getting to kind of completely redesign that and the experience has been really fun. Um, The way that it's kind of playing now, it's like it's almost like a six degree of freedom shooter, almost like Descent that you get to play inside that mini game, um, which is a really fun uh, kind of break you get to take from the first person perspective part of the game. You know, the shooting part, Um, you find the cyber, um, the cyber terminal terminals you hack in or you, you know, you interact with them, I should say. 
and suddenly it's like you're playing almost an entirely different game, uh, but with like the same control scheme. And some like maybe Bioshock influence there. Like, I really like the the idea of just mini games being a part, and that's something that kind of began with System Shock too. But mm-hmm. really getting to like have those little breaks and like do something outside of just running and gunning and you know shooting and everything like it, that's what people kind of gravitate towards these games for i think is just generally setting a complete atmosphere and really feeling like you're in a different universe and not just we could play doom if we just want to like rush into a room and not have to make any real decisions other than how do i kill this monster right yeah so yeah there's like cyberspace is really cool um some of the enemy types that we've that we've reimagined are really fun um one of the did was we looked at all the weapons that were in the original and there's a lot mm-hmm. um i'm like just pulling a number out here i think there's like over 20 weapons um and we're like okay that's <laughs> that's too many um and a lot of them served kind of very similar purposes so they were kind of redundant uh-huh. um and what we decided to do was kind of combine some of those weapons so that you didn't lose that functionality completely in some cases. Yes. But um, we've kind of pared the number of weapons down to something that was manageable. um, And that would kind of jive a little bit better with the grid based inventory system. Um, So that's really cool. I'm, I'm excited to see people kind of pick and choose favorite weapons because I don't think there's going to be like one that's, you know, that people are primarily going to just pick up and then kind of stick with. Um, but yeah, I mean, just like the whole process of, of reimagining just about every aspect of the game has, has been both challenging and rewarding seeing it in engine. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a rush. It's been, a, it's been a huge project. We've, you know, been working on this particular let's just call it like this branch of development for the last couple of years. And, um, you know, it's, it's shaping up to be something special. So from a storytelling standpoint, are we, we're looking at pretty much the same type of storytelling or are there going to be cut scenes with voice acting and all that? It's going to be almost identical to the original. Um, yeah, there's not going to be any cut scenes, um, except for the intro and, you know, the final cut scene of the game. Um, and, you know, we decided to do that just because, uh, we didn't want to break up, you know, the narrative. We didn't want to break up the game. We wanted the player to feel like they were in control, you know, close to a hundred percent of the time. Um, there are some like little, I call them, uh, like flavor animations that are not skippable, but they're also not longer than like three or four seconds long. And they only occur like the first time you interact with something. So like um, in our demo, when you go into the little room um, that's kind of got your stash of supplies, you pick up the pipe and the camera takes over and your character picks it up, kind of tosses it in the air and then, you know, hammers the end of it into his palm and you kind of get a sense of weight of the weapon. And then you kind of like build a little character um uh, for the hacker by doing that just like these hints we didn't want to do anything that Mm -hmm. um was too expressive because you know the whole idea of this game is that 
you are this character. Um, you're supposed to be immersed to a point where, you know, and I guess the lack of a better term, like you believe that you're that, that person. Um, and that's kind of the whole idea of system shock. It's what kind of put it on the map and more or less started the whole idea of the immersive sim. Um, so that was kind of like our golden rule, like never take, take control out of the player's hands, you know, uh, Nick's kind of scripted cutscenes, that type of stuff. Like just let the player play. Yeah. Well, I really can't wait to give you money for it, man. <laughs> I appreciate I'm it. To. I appreciate the support. Yeah. Well, I just, I'm a fan, dude. That's what this is. So before we get out of here, you mentioned earlier that you have several titles on the block that you can't quite announce yet, but are there anything, any projects out there that you really want to do? Like, a dream game for you that you haven't gotten a chance to put your hands on yet? Yeah. I mean, this is my favorite question. Um, it's gotta be no one lives forever. Um, that's okay. That's kind of like the de facto, you know, I have one day I'm going to get it. Like nothing's going to stop me. Um, I've been working on it for so long, but I feel like, if we were able to get Blade Runner, we should be able to get no this forever. <laughs> oh man! So he's gonna be mad at me for bringing it up, but Creamy Elephant uh, specifically asked to bring that up. He like via some friends in the community. Like I was like, "Hey, anybody got questions before I talk to Stephen?" And that was one of the specific, like, when are we getting No One Lives Forever? When are we getting like, No One Lives Forever? Yeah, I mean, I I can't I can't say anything just because there's nothing to talk about right now. But you know, I've got I've got my feelers out. I've got I've got people I've got people doing some work here and there, trying to figure some stuff out. And it's a slow burn, um, and it's going to be for for some time. But um, you know, every time we do a game, like. You know, Doom 64, our our reputation goes up a little bit and, you know, we get we get um, noticed by bigger and bigger companies and doors open and new opportunities come. And, you know, one of these days, I it's going to be known less forever. So stay tuned, I guess. <laughs> well, that's all I've got for you, man. I really, really appreciate you doing this and like, the time that you've given me and everything and being patient with me. I know I kind of sound crazy because I just woke up, but I'm doing my best drinking my coffee. So, well, I appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to come on here and talk to you. And, um, I mean, I wouldn't be here if, if, uh, we all didn't love these classic games. Yeah. I'm, I'm just overwhelmingly just, you know, just happy that, that people love this stuff, um, as much as we do. Because this is this is all we want to do, and uh, we've been given the opportunity to 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 take some of these games that people love so much, and and uh, kind of put a new coat of paint on them, and and make them playable for for not only them but for new people to enjoy. And uh, there's there's really no greater joy for me. Well, may the outer gods and the elder gods bless you for doing it man because it's the best and we love you (laughs) thanks man so y'all know that we've got to do some plugs and some thank yous before we get out of here i just want to go ahead and quickly get through this so 
quakefans.net. Check them out. Tell Smango and Motherload sent you. Go check out rocketjump.zone competition for all things arena shooters. Specifically, really cool stuff going on with Diabotical right now. Go check out the multiplayer Dune Federation and check out the radio show sponsored by In The Keep called Doom Is Dead Podcast. Uh, Their most recent episode with Rock King is absolutely mind-blowing. If you're into mapping or Doom or anything at all remotely to do with this topic, I highly recommend that one. And you should go check out the U.S. Quake community if you want any sort of weekly events going on. Classic Quake, Classic Doom. If you need more podcasts to subscribe to, I also recommend you check out Quake Fans Radio. That's quakefans.net again. And also go check out the QuakeCast, one of my favorite podcasts in the world, hosted by Dump Truck DS and RC and sometimes JCR. It's incredible. But until next time, stay in the keep.